Now, typically, I would read maybe three or four verses of Scripture. But if it's okay, could we read 20 verses of Scripture? Could we read 20 of them? I don't want to stress you out. But, all right. Because I, I thought that if we could read 20, it would help, help us a little more. Just to understand what's going on. I want to know what's going on. <laughs> we'll start with verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto the things which Philip was preaching, hearing and seeing the miracles, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 7. Unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of the people that were possessed. Many that were taken with palsies, which would be all kinds of crippled or infirmities, that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Who knows there's joy when there are miracles in the city. It's great. There's a conjunction word here now, and it's a downer. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom all they gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this is what the people used to say, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard. You know, people like to be honored. Because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, there's a turn here, and the turn is away from sorcery. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. He, he got, on, got on a train. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. It's incredible, these things. Now this great revival is breaking out in Samaria and the apostles which are at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent it to them Peter and John who when Peter and John were come down prayed for the people that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16 For as yet he was fallen upon none of them only they were baptized how? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they the apostles laid their hands on the people. They received the Holy Ghost. Simon is right there. He saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He got out his checkbook. And he said, give me also this power. That on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. Therefore, thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in all gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Pretty harsh. 
Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Last verse. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of Samaritan. Amen. Just turn your neighbor and smile at him and say, I hope this is good. Just lift up your voice with me one time. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory and honor. Mind and power in Jesus' name. You are holy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Speak, Lord. Amen. Amen. Everybody, everybody say amen. Praise God. Who's been married less than one year in here? Who's been married less than one year? Thank you. Who else has been married less than one year? Thank you. How is it going? Okay. Some thumbs. Anyone less than one year? How's it going? Is it is okay? Praise God. Okay, working out. Hallelujah. Any... Okay, who's, who's been married for 57 years and today your anniversary? Please remain standing. If this is your 57th wedding anniversary, remain standing. Let's get on with this. Amen. Congratulations. I was born at the end of 1967. My brother is... (laughs) All right. And, And then we didn't really you know, come into any kind of thought until the break of the, of 1980. And that's how most of us are. You're, you hit about 12, 13, and then that's kind of when light bulbs start coming on. And then there's an imprint of maybe a baseball team or a musical score or a song, a taste. And so it might be because I'm in the 1980s mix, which my kids call the oldies. I recall a lot of songs and sounds and music. We didn't have a television. We had a radio. And Scott and I and Dane would listen to the radio a lot. There weren't even a lot of stations. We listened to all the songs we could listen to. Every song we could find. You know. My mother didn't mind the Carpenters and Karen Carpenter. She didn't mind that. She didn't mind that. She wasn't happy about Al Green, but, you know. Um, or the Little River Band, you know. Come on. Friday night, it was late. I was walking you home. We got down to the gate, and I was dreaming of the night. Hey, come on. Well, where are you people at? I'm preaching here. 
<laughs> Sears Mystery Theater, Scotty. Remember, Sears Mystery Theater, KMOX, late Saturday night, scary, spooky. Shivered under the covers listening to the Mystery Theater. Now, my mom, mother and father was in a different era. And uh, one of their songs that they loved was released by Jack Dorsey first, but I don't know if people knew it as, as well until Ella Fitzpatrick, Fitzgerald, not Fitzgerald, Ella Fitzgerald, whose voice was like this golden, rich golden voice. And it was her sound. She sang, um, I remember you. You're the one who said, I love you too. I do. Didn't you know? Anybody? Praise God. 5%. There were a lot of other songs in the 80s. It was explosion of musical genres. And then the Christian world joined in. And Christian music started to find its root that kind of deviated from hymns in the mid-1980s and then later on. And then I met this man. He was about my height, significantly older, really cool guy. Um, his name was Brian Duncan. We became friends for just a couple of years Steve Richardson introduced me to him. He was a songwriter and singer. He was really cutting edge, Brian Duncan. And he wrote a lot of songs. One of the songs he wrote was called Mr. Bailey's Daughter. It didn't last very long. In fact, it was forgotten soon after it was released. But I remember it in a philosophical way. And while it didn't shape my church view, it does carry some reflection in my pursuit of loving people. Here's the first verse of Mr. Bailey's daughter. He says, Now this is the story of a lower middle class American preacher's kid who found that we don't always do all the right things for the right reasons. Now, my, this is him writing. Now, my dad is the finest man of God to ever grace the pulpit of a small Pentecostal church. To tell the truth, I was born on Saturday and church on Sunday, and I guarantee you I was never late. Because mom was the organ player and the Sunday school teacher. While I took up the offering, they would always make me give it back. And he writes, And as a child, I had the honor of sitting in the front row for the first five minutes of every sermon. That's usually how long it took to be called up to the platform for the express purpose of keeping me from escaping under the pews. And there I would sit behind the pulpit, counting ceiling tiles for the next hour and a half. Like most people, he says, over the years I got used to the pressure of saying and doing all the right things, whether I believed it or not. Because if I didn't, I had the largest gathering of elderly ladies to ever act upon their moral obligation to report everything I ever said or did. I related to this so well. Duncan says, so you can understand why I loved going to the youth conventions. He writes, because <laughs> it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt there were girls going to church that were under 65 years of age. <laughs> and here's the course are you ready for the course 
Mr. Bailey had a daughter, hoping she would notice me. Got me singing in the choir, volunteering my time for free. Now I'm praying for revival, working at living right. Man, I never looked more sanctified at church on Sunday night. Here's the second verse. Now, it's amazing what will turn your life around in a hurry. Overnight, I come to realize that what it meant was right or wrong to be motivated. I was captivated. I was serious. I was hearing voices. All the things I've been doing for years took on a whole new significance. You see, now I was out to please someone beside myself. I was convinced that she was an angel from heaven. Who knows? <laughs> he writes. She might have been. She disappeared fast enough. But now, look who's trying to do all the right things, and maybe sometimes even for the right reasons. Mr. Bailey has a daughter. It looks like maybe that the name Simon is just a popular name, akin to William today, or John. The Bible will offer us little definition of this distinction except for Acts chapter 8 when it introduces us to Simon the sorcerer. He controls people with sorcery, even those who do not use witchcraft, here pastor, and who do not use sorcery or magic, politicians, celebrities, and perhaps, uh-oh, even church folk, they like to have control too. Because the issue is rarely the issue, the issue is control. Jesus had long since planted the seeds in Samaria before Philip ever found himself there. But when Philip arrived, a breakout took place. People believed his preaching. The miracles and healings were profound. The spirit world itself was shaken to its core. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed of the devils and spirits. The power of God moving through Philip and among the people was undeniable. It was beyond the realm of skepticism which attends to many magicians who use sleight of hand and other human devices. Many, the Bible says, many that were taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, many of them. And whether Simon the sorcerer was used by the devil or maybe he bewitched the people through the devices of the demonic world or was skilled in his craft of manipulation, sleight of hand. Either way, what Philip was doing was greater than anything Simon had ever done or seen. Philip was the real thing. Philip. He was not a fraud. Philip didn't say something that did not come to pass. He was a doer and not a talker. In fact, he wasn't even one of the designated apostles or disciples. He was one of the seven men of good report whose job was to feed the widows in Acts chapter 6. Hmm. But Philip went to preach in Samaria, started preaching Jesus. His words were accompanied by real miracles and signs and wonders. And in between the miracles, it looks like Philip spent his days baptizing men and women in Jesus' name. So says the Bible. But there is Simon. His position among the people is in jeopardy. He knows it. He's standing among them as now this great man is, is making him look bad. And he is plummeting right in front of the people. He's losing his footing. Make no mistake. Simon believes. Because who wouldn't believe the real thing? The lame are walking. You cannot deny that. 
Palsy is being healed. Evil spirits are coming out of the people who were oppressed. Signs at every turn. And the people are believing the message about the name of Jesus. And Simon himself will try to join in. He will be baptized. He is part now of the group. And yet, as the revival becomes so intense, Philip cannot handle it all by himself. As the apostles in Jerusalem hear what's happening, they send Peter and John down to Samaria to help Philip. They are actually his overseers. And the scripture is clear. Jesus, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Which, of course, makes me wonder, if the Holy Ghost is not important to receive, then why send Peter and John in the first place? If it's okay just to be baptized and let it be, why would they send Peter and John? They began to lay hands on the people, and the people began to receive it just like they did at first in the book of Acts chapter 2. They were obviously speaking in other tongues because Simon saw it and heard it. And because he saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands, this powerful Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Simon is in the right place, ladies and gentlemen, with the wrong motive. And there it is. He's standing in the middle of a city where the whole place is having a revival, where miracles are happening, people are getting baptized, the Holy Ghost is falling, people are speaking in tongues. He's in the right place, but he's there for the wrong reason. The motive, dear friends, can be a very dreadful thing. The wrong motive is almost always hidden. And if it becomes known It could be embarrassing to many people. It's the telltale of the heart, the reason for the action. It's what the Pharisees would do when they took their money, waved it up in the air, and put it into the offering. The motive was pride. Many times words and actions come with qualifications which are false. You know, the preface. Like, I'm not a gossiper, but I need to tell you something. Or like my brother has taught me. Someone tells you a secret, secret, and you go to someone, you say, now listen, I can't repeat this, so pay attention for the first time. Mm-hmm. Never mind, we'll get that tomorrow. Or the other preface, I'm not judgmental, I'm not a judgmental person, but what do you think about it? The motive is there, but there is an attempt to hide the motive in the preface. I like to quote Jeremiah 17, 9, because it talks about the heart. But here's the next verse in verse 10. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct and according to the deeds that he deserves. I, the Lord, motives make up the whole. Motives are the depth of the matter. The actuality is found in the intent, not in the preface. Motives are the foundation upon which all actions and deeds rest. Or as the King James Bible says, the fruit of a man's doings are found. And although many would like to hide themselves, I say, if you find the motive, you found the man. Yeah. A guy gives a girl a rose, a red rose, and there is a motive. He has a motive He wants her heart. If he tries to sell her the rose, it means he wants her money. (laughs) Same rose, different intent. 
Simon is with Philip, but he begins with the wrong motive. And it strikes me in that even though he was baptized when he saw the sheer power of Peter and John and the laying on of the apostles' hands and how that it seemed to produce this supernatural gift, Simon was taken back to his former self. How could it be baptized with water in the name of Jesus, standing beside the great teacher Philip and, and seeing Peter and John, Simon the convert has slipped back into Simon the sorcerer. Carnality, carnal. Can you imagine that baptized people might still wrestle with carnality? Uh-oh. That church folks might be carnal? Uh In case you did not know, you can be baptized. You can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and still battle with carnality. And while it should not be, it is. Oh, yeah. Simon said, I'd like to have this power. Here's some money. But Peter said, your money is going to die with you and you have no part with us. Your heart's not right. Your mind's warped. So repent of this wickedness and I'll pray that maybe, just maybe, the thought might be forgiven you. Peter said, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive by sin. Uh And then in that moment, Simon repents. But it almost makes you wonder what Simon was doing there in the first place. Ill intent, wrong reason, carnal cause. Hey, Mr. Bailey has a daughter. Mm -hmm. How many times did we come into this house with distortion? A disfigured outlook of the church and worship. I wonder if some have looked the part but had heart problems. And you looked like you were a part but you had heart problems. Wrong motives. Maybe someone came in not to be seen but to see what was going on so that they could go back home and talk about it. Maybe someone just came to stay at church long enough to see what the current news was like. Wrong motive. Right place. Wrong motive. This is not a dating center. Can I just make this clear? This is not a dating center. It's not what you find. This is not where you just come in, find somebody, and take them out. You got eHarmony.com. You got 50 or older. You got FarmersOnly.com. Come on, you guys know that, right, Brother Barbara? She likes my tractor. Can we sing that tonight? Can you sing that tonight? That's what they sing in marriage retreat. She likes my tractor. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. We're going to sing all of our songs and we're going to break them out. Uh-huh. This is not a dating center, but I would submit that not a few have walked in looking for a friend, got baptized to fit in. Found a job in the church just to make a good impression. All the wrong reasons. Peer pressure, maybe. Peer pressure. A little bit of guilt. Well, I got to go to church, you know. Ask them why they come to church and they say, because I don't want to go to hell. Yeah. As if the Holy Ghost is fire insurance. Ask them what, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And they say, because my wife is doing it. So I'm my husband. And I suppose that if we were all measured by our motives, hear me now. If we were all measured by our motives, then and again, all of us might enter this house, not with praise or thanksgiving or a desperate need to find God, but maybe out of duty and obligation or some disparaging remark. We enter with disparaging remark, not with praise and joy. David had all the wrong motives and actions, but came back to repent. And he said, create in me a clean heart and a right spirit. Because he knew he had to change his motive. And Abraham did it too. 
And Jacob saw the birthright but found God in a midnight escape in a place he would come to call Bethel. And a host of disciples caved to self-protection, thinking of themselves first, wanting to save their own skin while their rabbi, master Jesus, was hanging on the cross. So before we decide who should be in this house and who should be disqualified from this place, we better read the scripture in Proverbs 21 and 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. And as I stand here, I cannot say why all of us came here, but I hope we came for the right reason. I hope we came to worship the Lord and receive the word and minister to one another. I hope we came to lift each other up, not tear each other down. I hope we came with expectation of victory and not the inevitable feeling of defeat. I hope you came in wanting more of God. And those who walk in but don't know why, all I can say is whatever leads people to this water. If it's it's Mr. Bailey's daughter, then we cannot chase them out because I'm convinced that one of these Sundays, a change is going to come in their life. What could be cold and indifferent might leap with life and joy. What looks like haughtiness and pride today might turn into humility and a servant spirit tonight. The heart that is resistant to the drawing of the Holy Spirit has a better chance of humility in the stirring waters of worship. And you don't know what God can do when he moves in ways that cannot be weighed by the minds of men. Jesus knew that the multitude often followed him for his provisions. He even said, Isaiah was right about you. You follow me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So he fed the 5,000. He healed their sick, knowing that the motives were always wrong, but he fed them again. It was called the feeding of the 4,000, and more would be healed because the church, ladies and gentlemen, did not start with a bunch of well-intentioned, refined folk. It started with a following of material things and it was finally birthed by a spiritual thing. I'm not saying that I do not become frustrated when young men and young adults and young ladies and older adults are all purposely disruptive and careless with their eternal soul. I'm not, and I'm not discounting the damage that blatant sin and rebellion and irreverence does to this house. It's not okay. But my core belief is that given enough times to get connected and to be loved and to hear the word of God and experience the worship, those who are coming for the wrong reason just might in fact return for the right reason it's amazing how fast their lives can turn around so i'm not going to chase them out i'm going to bring them in you might be here for the wrong reason but i'm praying that something's going to change in your life i don't know why you came i don't know why you're here i don't know how you got here but i'm believing in a god that makes all things new and he can change what's wrong into being what's right Yay! Come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord because you know you've got to have that. I like to read about stubborn men. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's a lot more stubborn men in the Bible than stubborn women, but we know they exist too. Oh, you know, come on. You can't all admit it. In trouble. Here's a scripture. Now Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. Honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. 
which of course almost erases everything that came prior. A captive girl in his home says, I wish that my master could go to the prophet. So they arranged it. He went to see Elisha because he was going to die. But Elisha did not see him. Naaman travels a far distance to hear the voice of the prophet, but the prophet sends his servant out and never comes to the door. If I'm reading my Bible correctly, it appears that Elisha never saw or spoke to Naaman directly, which, of course, to many people is just flat-out offensive. (laughs) The servant of Elisha is sent out with instructions. Well, here's what the prophet said. Go wash in the Jordan River... And dipped down seven times. And to that command, Naaman said no. But it was Naaman's servant who came along with him who compelled Naaman to go. Naaman went to the Jordan because of a servant who spoke with reason and outcome and possibilities. But Naaman did not want to go. He complained the whole time. He balked at the order. He looked at the Jordan River with all of its refuse and debris and all of that stuff floating. No clarity in the water. And he said, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Why couldn't I wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. And it was his servant that convinced him to stay and just try it. And he dipped down the first time. But it's obvious his heart is not in the deed. (laughs) He's down the second time, but he's regretting ever consenting to this crazy thing. Why am I even here? No passion. Doing it because someone's asking him to do it. He's standing in the Jordan River because his servant is reasonable. But make no mistake, Naaman is not thrilled to be there. But the reasonable, sensible servant is saying, what is it going to hurt? Go down in the water. Do it one more time. I've been down there three times. What's Nothing's happening. Four times. No faith. No anticipation. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even know why I come to this church. I've been coming and nothing's been happening. I've been seeking God and I don't even hear him. Sometimes I don't even feel him. I don't even know why I'm here. Not, not even real obedience. Perhaps just to get it over with. But I say, there's something in the water. It's more powerful than you can ever imagine. And I believe that the stirring and the moving of the Holy Spirit in this river of life has the power to change the very nature of the person. Some do wrong, but I hope they come back and do right. Some are negative, but I'm praying for light to shine in a positive way on their lives. Because hypocrites need the church as much as the saints. (laughs) So if you're a hypocrite, thank you for coming. No fingers, please. No pointing, no pointing. And sinners need a place just as much as the saved. Some come for fun, but we're hoping that will turn into fellowship. And some come out of habit, but we're hoping that habit turns into hunger. Because if you could just get in the house, you might come for Mr. Bailey's daughter. But I think if we could just stay together, something can be resurrected and changed in the life of everybody. Hear me. 
Here is the operation of the church of the Most High God. This is what Jesus said. He said, after I call all the so-called good, so good people and they refuse to come to the banquet, he said to his servant, here's the words of the Lord in Luke 14, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done. Thou hast commanded me. Yet there's a little room left. And the Lord said, well, then just go out further. Go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come into my house so it may be filled. It's a lesson of love and inclusion. Love and inclusion. It's the scriptural concept of adding people, the Gentiles, with no background and no heritage and no lineage and no covenant into the body. Go get them. I don't care if they got the wrong motive. I don't care if they're wearing the wrong clothes. I don't care if they have no body. I don't care if they have no lineage. Just let my house be filled. Hey, and this idea that you got to be good to come to church is not in the Bible. I want all the good people to stand up and I want all the bad people to sit down. I want all the good people to raise their hand and all the bad people to put their hands down. There's no one that's good. No, not one but God. Hey, and you didn't spill your own blood and you didn't die on your own cross but it was the blood of Jesus that picked you up out of the miry clay and he set your feet on a rock to stay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Bailey's got a daughter so I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is what comes after that. Uh-huh. That's the Lord's command. Compel, compel. Come on, won't you? Come on, won't you? Come on, I don't really want to come. Come on, come on, won't you? Come on, I'll take you out to dinner afterwards. Come on, I don't really like it. Just go down one more time. Just say, you know, I don't really, I don't really feel it. Just go down. Just get in that one more time. Just, just pray one more time. Just keep it inviting. Include them. I ask you, where would you be if God wasn't patient with you? Where would you be, ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord wasn't patient with you? What if he'd have wrote you off the first time that you made a mistake and he judged your heart? He pondered your heart and said, they don't got the right motive. What if God looked at you and said, well, they don't really love me, so I'll just, I'll just move them aside. Hear me. He knows that he's got to work on your heart, your disposition. He's got to work on the culture of your own brain so that you can accept him and receive him and be born into him. He knows that. There's something about the gospel that alters stinking thinking. <laughs> It remakes my mind. It molds my heart. It is by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I keep preaching and teaching and praying and singing. Because the Bible says, by the foolishness of preaching, people are saved. Dry bones come back to life. By the word of God, truth is delivered. And lives are changed. And by the effectual fervent prayer, there is a veil. And through the songs of the Lord, there is restoration of the human spirit. Mr. Bailey has a daughter, yes. It's a motive of, of non-congruence with, with, without good reason. It's, it's a motive that's wrong. It's a motive that's, that's ill-gotten. But Jesus told us to gather and let the chaff grow up with the wheat. Go read it for yourself. See, the tree doesn't always look fruitful, but I'm holding out hope. I still believe that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So I'm going to say, don't give up too soon. Don't quit too quickly. Sometimes it comes in a moment and suddenly 
that shaky life, sand pit, turns into a pillar. Sometimes a complainer turns into a sustainer. Sometimes that hindrance turns into a help. Mr. Bailey has a daughter. It's amazing how long the Lord kept me around. Probably longer than I would have thought. It's amazing how long the Lord kept wooing you and bringing you back. But the Lord saw past your temple actions of Mr. Bailey's daughter and said, I'm going to bring you back again and love you all over again. He keeps picking you up. He keeps restoring your soul. When you say the wrong thing, and I don't need a hand, but when you say the wrong thing, and we've all said the wrong thing probably every day, God still loves you because his grace is still abounding day and day out. You you are not going to be good enough by yourself. you got to get in the body of Jesus Christ. He won't pick you up. He's going to restore you one more time he's greater than your poor motives he's greater than your depression he's greater than your anxiety he's greater than your self-condemnation he's a gracious God who gives his children room to grow and find out what the real meaning of love is he's a patient God who waits on his people and tenderly leads them through valleys and desert places and lands. But if you ever discover there's a greater purpose in the church, you'll discover a brand new way of living. You'll, you'll see the beauty of the body and the wonder of the church. If you ever get past your flesh and serve the Lord and give to others and hold your peace, the Lord will open up to you a greater anointing and a greater calling. You won't come to soak it all in. You'll come to give it all out. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's always going to be another incentive to be here. But there's no greater purpose than to worship the Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you about your God. Who is a God like unto thee? That pardons sin. Forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Lord. You'll tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He's not going to give up on you. Don't give up on him. Don't say, I'm gonna, when I get it all together, I'm going to get committed. Because you'll never get it all together. You just get committed. On your way to following him, it's going to get better and better and better. Hear me. you got to come out of the world to be separate, saith the Lord. You, gotta, you can't touch the unclean thing. you got to live a holy life. This is the Bible. you got to pursue holiness just like the Lord is holy. you got to change things in your life. But don't quit the church just because you don't have it all together. And don't get down on yourself. Just keep on coming. And... And for the rest of us, don't look over and wonder why they're here. Just go back and remember there was a day when my heart wasn't right and my tongue wasn't right and I didn't know what I was doing. But thank God somebody was patient with me and I found my place in the church. I found my place in Jesus Christ. 
I'm not here to break you down. I'm not here to cut you off. I'm here to follow the word of the Lord who said about his own nature, a bruised reed. Shall he not break and a smoking flax? Shall he not quench till he sent for judgment? You got a chance until the Lord blows the trumpet. Just get in the church. You're not cut off. You're not, you're not pinched out. I was a youth pastor in two churches and sometimes the young guys would sit in the back row and chew gum and they'd do all kinds of crazy stuff and, and, and I didn't even know why they were there. It kind of got under my skin a little bit. I was aggravated. I was always wondering why did they even come to church until one Sunday. I remember looking out and we were having our youth service and some of those young guys came up and they started to pray and I couldn't believe it. In one service, they changed their lives in one service and they started to change the place where they sit and the things that they said and the places where they went and the things they were watching it was a miracle it was a wonder and the Lord spoke to me a long time ago he said if you'll just be patient with them they'll move from where they are they got a better chance being saved in the house than they do on the street if you'll love them when they're unlovable and be patient when there's no reason and you'll be gracious when there's no cause pastor you're not always going to be depressed you're going to be filled with joy it's a prophetic word for your life you're not always going to be down you're going to get up you won't always be in the valley and i'll tell you why jonah didn't want to go and we've said it many times i'll tell you why jonah did not want to go to nineveh he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got on a boat going the other way. And God sent a tempest, tempest. And the waters were rolling. And the ship that he was on was about to go down. And the sailors knew something was wrong. They prayed to their gods because they knew they were all going to die. And they started to throw over their precious cargo. And it didn't work. And finally they said, maybe a god or some gods are against us. They couldn't figure it out. And Jonah finally came to the front. He said, it's, it's me. It's my fault. I've disobeyed God. I didn't go to Nineveh. He told me to go. Just throw me overboard. And they said, oh no, we're not going to do that. They were kind men. They'd rather go down and die with him than to cause him to die alone but Jonah said no you got to get me out of this boat you'll be okay if you get me out of this boat he did not want to go to Nineveh he would have rather died than go preach at Nineveh because he despised the people of Nineveh and he knew that if he got there oh man he knew if he got to Nineveh that God would end up being God. He couldn't take a chance on God being himself. And so he prayed. Jonah 4.2 Lord, I pray thee, O Lord. Was not this my saying? Didn't I tell you this? When I was yet in my country, I was by myself, minding my own business. I fled for Tarshish because I knew that you're a gracious God and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and you're of great kindness 
And you'll turn away from all the evil things these people have done. I knew your nature. That if I just preached a simple message, repent or you're going to die. If they repented, you were going to change their path and you were going to lift them up. Hey, I want to tell you right now, that's the kind of nature your God has. All you have to do, no matter what's happened yesterday or in your totality of your life, the accumulation of your problems and your anxieties, all the stuff that you've messed up, all you have to do is say, Lord, I love you. Forgive me of my sin. Hear me. Hear me. He's a gracious God. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. He won't pinch you out. He won't cut you off because the Lord, he is good. Your motive can be wrong, right? now but if you open up your mouth and say Lord I love you help me with my motive Mr. Bailey's daughter will she'll be gone and the right thing will be here it's in your hands I got a word for somebody here today all you have to do is cry out to God and say I need you Lord oh stand with me right now I feel the spirit of the Lord in this house I'm going to provoke you to do something. I don't know if you want to do it or not, but I'm going to provoke you to take your hand and I want you to lift it up and surrender to the Lord. Put those hands up in the sky. Put them up in the air and say, Lord, I need you. I surrender my life. I confess that my motives are not always right. My motives, my heart is sometimes filled with ill intent, but I confess my need to you right now. I confess my hunger for you right now. That's right. That's right. Here, Pastor, now while you're praying, I didn't have to have it all together, Lord. But I know I need to get on the right road. That's right. That's right. Jesus. 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 Jesus, oh, I feel like we need to help one another now. If you feel comfortable and it's okay with a neighbor or a friend, someone you're close by, I want you to put your arm around them and I want you to pray right now that the Lord would help them. Come on, we're going to pursue God. Pray this prayer. Lord, let them feel encouraged. What will it hurt to be involved? What will it hurt to be involved? That's right. What will it hurt to be involved? Come on, we're, we're going to go again. We're, we're going to do this again. That's right. We're going we're gonna to do this again. That's right. That's right. That's right. Come on, let's try this. Let's keep trying this, church. Let's keep trying prayer. Let's not give up yet. That's right. Come on, we're doing it. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I'm just inviting you to the front right now just to stretch forth your arms. You don't have to come. You don't have to come because you feel better about yourself. You just come to find the Lord. And you just make a statement. I'm coming again. I'm going to go down in that water again. I'm going to go down in that altar again. I'm, I'm going to come. I, I'm going to come to pursue you, Lord. That's right. Because I need you. Because I'm hungry for you, Lord. And if you're not hungry for God yet, just pray, Lord, help me in my life. I've got to have your help and your strength.
That's right. That's right. <laughs>